Hi folks and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam again. Great to have you with us today. Glad you could tune into this episode in which, by popular demand, we're back with yet another deal analysis. So these are episodes in which we break down real estate deals, real deals, all kinds of actual real-life Japanese real estate property deals which we've helped our clients with here at NTI. Because, you know, this is what we do here. And this gives us a chance to share with you not only the numbers, prices, costs, returns, and so forth, but most importantly, the selection criteria, the due diligence, and the decision-making processes, which we utilize when selecting which deals to green light and why. So we've done a few of these in the past in all sorts of cities, Fukuoka, Kyoto, Kumamoto, and we've covered residential and commercial properties but we've only been looking at condo units so far. So today, to mix things up a bit, we're going to look at a house. Now, houses in Japan, as opposed to other countries where they might be the go-to investment um, asset of choice, are a bit of a mixed bag here in Japan. They're very popular with foreigners who are owners-occupiers, meaning foreigners who are buying a property to live in and not a straight-out investment property, simply because Japanese apartments tend to be on the smaller side usually, and foreigners like us are used to a bit more space, not to mention the added value of having a front or backyard, as small as it may be, place to lay back, barbecue, entertain friends, which is doable on a condo balcony, but let's face it, doesn't pack as nice a punch as a deck or a yard do. And also because, as opposed to the typical Japanese, we're also a bit more conscious of the potential for growth or capital gains, which can be realized to a far better extent if we own a larger portion of land with a property. And while condo units here normally come with a small portion of the land too, um, just a small uh, bit of the parcel that the building is constructed on, this usually amounts to just a few square meters of land per unit owner, maybe up to 10, 20 square meters at best for the smaller blocks built on the larger land parcels. So condo units do stand to gain less if the area they're in goes up in value as opposed to houses or buildings that are built on the entire land parcel. The Japanese, though, and even foreigners who are into more straightforward property investment normally prefer condos, although for different reasons. So for the Japanese... Even in the case of owners-occupiers, space is simply not that big of an issue. People here are used to living in very close proximity to each other, family members and neighbors included. Marriages are unfortunately sexless in many cases, which means that couples sleep with their children until they reach elementary or even middle school, junior high age. And even when the kids move to their own rooms, the parents will often use the living room or a tiny little sitting room off to the side of the living room and so forth as their bedroom during the night. And they'll quickly roll up their futon mattresses and turn their sleeping space into part of a common living area during the day. They also prefer to be as close to the city centers as they can in many cases, which makes owning land and a house quite expensive. And so they're quite comfortable in small apartments hopefully as new as and as well-decked as possible, which is another uh, difficult thing to achieve with a house, unless it's relatively new and expensive. And while there definitely are a lot of families here which do buy houses and own two cars and live out in the suburbs, like anywhere in the world, the percentage of families living in houses as opposed to condo units 
is far lower in Japan than it is in many other countries. Now, as far as investments are concerned, the preference for condo units over houses is similar for both foreigners and native Japanese, and that's mainly due to A, the lack of confidence in economic and property market growth potential. After all, Japan's only just come out of over two decades of deflation, and while it's grown slowly and comfortably between 2012 to 2016, that trend is far from a given for the decades ahead. Coupled with B, the fact that building materials and standards in Japan, especially as far as houses are concerned, are light, cheap,、um, wooden based structures in many cases, and they're not really meant to last that long to begin with. They also require more maintenance overall, and most people just opt for the relative stability and safety that comes with individual condo units in co owned blocks. Which means that monthly expenses are more or less fixed and reliable, and there just aren't any sudden surprises like a leaking roof, serious earthquake or typhoon, structural damages that owners need to suddenly pay out of pocket, etc. And these are things that are all very much a given when one invests in houses. You do have to plan ahead for these sorts of、um, surprises. Now, having said all of that, houses do have certain advantages that condo units, or at least individual condo units in co owned blocks, Simply don't have. And we have covered some of these briefly in past episodes. The main advantage being the flexibility and freedom that comes with owning the entire structure, meaning you're free to lease, renovate, demolish, and rebuild the structure as you see fit or very close to as you see fit, potentially increasing the property's value or your cash flow by doing that. So things like leasing out your house or unit short term via platforms like Airbnb and so forth. Um, dividing the interior into several rentable properties for higher returns, turning it into a guest house, a share house, even tearing the place down and building a small unit block instead of the house, commercial logistics properties, or even turning it into a small hotel or a yokan, a Japanese inn, or even a parking lot. So, flexibility and creative freedom is one of the advantages. The second, maybe less obvious advantage of a house. Aside from the higher capital gains potential that comes with the larger land parcel, is the fact that houses which have a larger floor plan and can house larger families tend to attract longer term tenants. Now, naturally, singles or couples properties like a one or two bedroom condo unit tend to attract shorter term tenants simply because they'd either be younger people who often go through more frequent changes in circumstances like work related relocation, marriage. Or older people who have no children or whose children are no longer living with them. And these types of tenants, unfortunately, can far more frequently become ill, need to move into assisted care living, or even in the worst of cases, simply pass away. As we've again discussed here in the past when we spoke about handling a death in a property. And with Japan's rapidly aging population, that's a very valid concern and not very uncommon, unfortunately. When you own a house, however, your tenant. More likely to be a family with one child or more, in which case, even in one of, if one of the parents, normally the father, is relocated to a different city during the course of their career, the spouse and children will more often than not stay in the property while the partner rents out a small unit in wherever the company may have sent them during the week or the month and come back to stay with their families on weekends. So, longer term tenants, which are obviously a far more attractive prospect for most landlords, that's another advantage of investing in houses. 
So today we're going to quickly analyze a residential house property deal sourced on behalf of a client based in Hong Kong. The property is located in a quiet but popular residential neighborhood in Sapporo City, which is one of Japan's bigger cities, stable population, close to 2 million people, uh, located in the far north of the country, and it's the main city in the uh, snowy Hokkaido landmass. It's also Japan's fourth most popular tourist destination, so right behind Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka. But it is priced far lower than those other three cities, mainly because it suffered a bit of a hit after the 2011 tsunami in the subsequent Fukushima Daiichi nuclear spill. Not that Sapporo is very close to Fukushima, but one of its main industries is tourism, more specifically uh, winter tourism. And the few years immediately after that disaster saw tourist numbers plummet which also put a halt on property price hikes, and while the rest of the country's main cities were starting to enjoy exactly at that time, Sapporo stayed stagnant. The city's other two main industries, aside from tourism, are academic, so plenty of university campuses, colleges, technical schools, and retail. So shops, supermarkets, uh, souvenirs, so quite a robust economy and a very popular investment destination due to these lower prices and the higher yields, compared with the rest of Japan's major cities. So places like, again, Kyoto, Tokyo, Osaka, and other cities such as Nagoya, Fukuoka, just simply don't offer the high yields that Sapporo can, at least in theory. The house that we're talking about was built in 1973, so quite old, but very well maintained and renovated throughout the years. Not within walking distance to a train or subway station, but it does come with a car park, like many houses. And generally speaking, Families living in houses in Japan will always have at least one car. So distance from the station, not necessarily a big deal uh, in comparison with condo units, whose tenants often don't have a car and do require uh, easy access to public transport. So single mom living in the place with her three children for the past seven years. So excellent tenant profile, no payment issues, no other issues. Most importantly, the property costs only 3.8 million Japanese yen. That's about 32,000 US dollars. And it's generating a net income of 39,000 Japanese yen per month. So about $360 US dollars. 125 square meters of structure over 192 meters of land. Two floors, five bedrooms plus living room, dining room and kitchen. So huge by Japanese standards. All up, the annual yield comes to a spectacular 10.5% net pre-tax per year. So that's including all of your purchase and your known running costs, not including annual income tax, property tax, and other variables like maintenance, vacancies, and so forth. Now, hopefully, as mentioned, this type of tenant stays for a very long time, which is the norm here in Japan. People tend to stay in one place and stick to their routines for as long as they possibly can. And it's not uncommon for families to be renting for life. In this case, the tenant profile, coupled with the price and the return, really a no-brainer. And with these types of homes, as long as they've been reasonably maintained and renovated, meaning mainly the exterior and the roof, which are the most expensive items, aside from maybe plumbing and wiring, that's really all that you can ask for. Now, obviously, you'll want to keep the tenant as... Uh, staying with you as long as possible. You want to keep them happy as long as the requests are not too out of line because it is in your interest to keep them there as long as humanly possible, particularly in cities like Sapporo where the rental market is really dead 
throughout much of the year. People simply do not move to new homes during the snowy months, and that can be as long as a six- or seven-month period every year. Generally speaking, the colder climate in Hokkaido makes for longer tenancies overall as well. So again, you keep this tenant happy, you might just have a tenant for life. In our case, this meant we added in a simple extra perk in the form of paying for snow clearing and removal um, from the roof and around the house during the winter. Quite a reasonable price, about 250 US dollars per year, so equal to less than one month of the rental income. Definitely a price worth paying for a stable tenant that takes good care of the property and with any luck will remain in it for at least another decade or so. And as mentioned, if and when the tenant does move out, the owner still owns the land and the structure and has very few limitations aside from maybe zoning regulations in what they can do with the property. So potentially they could even increase the return even further by, again, leasing it out to holidaymakers on a daily or monthly basis renovating it and increasing the long-term rent potential, and hopefully if Japan's economy continues to improve, maybe even gain some extra equity. Although really, if you think about it, a property generating over 10% net pre-tax and annual returns in a safe and stable tenancy situation definitely ticks most of the boxes that any investor could possibly hope for. Okay, that's probably it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of our Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. Please do share this episode uh, or the entire podcast with your networks or anyone else who may find it interesting. We look forward to your comments and your questions on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, or wherever else you may have found us. And most of all, we would really, really appreciate it if you could take a moment of your time to leave us a rating, one star, five stars, let us know what you think. And even better, if you could write a short review on the iTunes store, that would mean the world to us. Seriously. Hope to have you with us next time, and until then, from all of us here at NTI, we wish you a great weekend, and as always, happy investing.